else never gives up and never runs out on me. That is powerful, man. That is so powerful. Father, thank you for the goodness of your heart, for the richness of your love, for the depth of your mercy, for a love that is reckless, for a love that gives itself away so that we can experience it. Thank you for this time, this morning of just opening up our hearts and of of sharing and tasting the bread and the cup together and just that beautiful picture of what love looks like. There is no more powerful picture of what love looks like than the sacrifice that you made for us. That you went to the furthest extent you could possibly go. What an incredible picture. We know there are so many beautiful and powerful attributes that point to who you are. We know that you are a God who is strong. We know that you are a God who is holy. We know that you are a God who is righteous. We know that you are a God who is so strong in power that our hearts tremble in fear at the thought of that. We know that you are a God who is sovereign who is in complete control, who is king. And we know that you are a God who at your very core, you are love. You are love. And all of these other attributes are colored by that. You are love and it is how you express all of the other attributes of who you are. And we talk about these marks of who we want to be as a church and who your church is around the world and who we want to be as individual followers of you. But every one of these marks come from you. We get them from you. We've inherited them. They are in our blood because it is who you are. We just give you glory this morning and we give you praise and we are humble and we are grateful that you are love and that even though you could have given up and walked away you didn't you ran to us and became our rescue and we thank you for that help us to live caught up in that idea and help that to drive everything that we do it's in your name we pray Amen. Amen. Um, on what has actually, uh, as of late, become a far too frequent occurrence, I discovered this week just how woefully uncool I am. Okay. Uh, so a lot of you guys know that that I, I do some substitute teaching um, at the local high schools. And this week I was substitute teaching and one of the students asked me, uh, so Mr. LeRoy, uh, do you like dubstep? <laughs> right? Which apparently is some kind of music. All right. Unfortunately, I did not know that because it also happened to be the day that Wikipedia was blacked out. Okay. 
So this moment of being like, I would love to give you an intelligent answer on that, but please inform me as to what that is, right? So sometimes I just, I get that, that, that realization of just how out of touch, right? You ever, do you ever feel that way? You just look around and you're like, what, what happened? Where did everything go, right? Um, I, I feel that way sometimes. Uh, a while back, I was at um, Open Eye Cafe in Carborough, which is a great place, all right? You need to go hang out there, quirky little place. It's awesome. And I was sitting there and, you know, just taking note of all of the different kind of personalities, very eclectic kind of place. But everyone was united by one thing. Even though everyone was trying to express their individuality, I looked around and like 98% of the people in there are joined together by the fact that they choose to express their individuality by owning a MacBook. All right? So everyone in there had that until one guy came walking in. I couldn't believe my eyes as I was seeing it. A guy literally brought like an old school desktop computer in there. Totally set it up. I'm talking monitor that's like this wide and this deep. Okay? Tower. You know, keyboard, mouse, speakers, mouse pad with his family picture on it. Just kidding, right? And I was like, this is amazing. I feel like that guy way too often, right? I feel like him. And I don't even think he bought coffee. I think he was just using them for their free dial-up, which is not cool. Um, just kidding. Anyone remember dial-up? No? All right. Okay, look it up. Okay. Ask your parents. Um, but sometimes I, I feel like that guy. And there is this pressure, right, that you've got to kind of keep up with things as they're moving. And really, in, in a town like this, this is a great town. It's a very cool town, and, and it's, it's trendy in a lot of ways. And you almost feel that pressure to, like, be ahead of it, right? And once, once things get a little too overexposed, get a little too popular, then you want to abandon ship and be like, hey, I liked that before it was cool, right? You know? And, and, and so there's this tendency to do that. And there's this push to do that. And I think we probably all wrestle with that to a certain extent, right? I know I do. And, and, and over the past couple of weeks, I have actually wrestled with that on a completely different level. Even like with the passage that, that I was feeling drawn to to, to to preach from this morning. As we talk about this idea of being marked by the reckless love of God, as reckless love being one of the marks of who we are as a church, as who we are as Christians, as who we are as the church around the world. I was feeling like God was pushing me and drawing me to a verse that I didn't want to go to because it's the verse that is so overexposed that it's like I'm going to look so just completely not creative whatsoever, right? It's going to seem like I just kind of came up with it the night before or something. I did not want to go in that direction. I fought it and I didn't want to go. But I seriously felt humbled and felt pushed in my heart that we are never beyond basics. You are never beyond the basics. And the deeper that Christ draws you into himself and the more that he builds on the relationship, the the more those basics come into focus and the more important those basics and those foundations become because they're the things that hold everything else up that he's trying to build in you and i felt pushed towards this and and felt 
Okay, just put it aside. And, and, and there's always this pressure, I think, for pastors to come with some fresh twist or, you know, to pull out some obscure verse that you have never heard of whatsoever. So you won't know that I'm wrong about it. Right. Um, and to come with something so fresh and, and whatever. But I truly felt like this is where we need to be this morning. You are never beyond the basics. And this is a verse that is the most popular verse in all of Scripture. It is John 3.16. Okay? John 3.16. And you guys are probably familiar with it. You probably, if you have memorized any Bible verses at all, if you know any Bible verse at all, this is probably the one that you know. Right? This is probably the one that you know. And I just kept getting this impression over and over with this idea that, yes, this is one of the first things that you're ever taught about God, but this is probably one of the last things that we will ever fully grasp about him. John three sixteen, the depth of the reckless love of God. So we're going to begin with setting up a little bit of context to this verse that we often know in isolation. We're going to put it in its context of of where it's found, okay? So John chapter 3, here at this stage of the book, John is basically building the case that Jesus has come to make things new, all right? We talked last week, John 1, a new creation. He begins, in the beginning... Echoing back to Genesis 1, saying Jesus is the new, he's coming to, to bring about the new creation, right? In, in chapter 2, we see this moment where Jesus performs his first miracle, and he turns water into wine, and the host of the, of the wedding feast there comes to Jesus, and he says, or, or, or comes to the, they, they come to the host of the wedding, and they say, what are you doing? Normally, people bring out their their uh their worst wine last they they put their best wine up front and then you get drunk and you can't tell how bad the wine is at the end okay that's the way it normally worked at those festivals and and things but this guy comes and he says what are you doing you actually save the best wine for last you save the best for last in this new wine that jesus brings in 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 this miracle and saying that the best has been saved for the last, that everything that God has built up on so far, Jesus comes to complete it, and God has saved his best for last in the person of Jesus. And he continues to develop this theme. And so here we have it again. And we have this meeting between a man named Nicodemus and Jesus. And Nicodemus is basically a guardian of the old way, and Jesus has come to bring about the new way. So here's what it says, starting with chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So what we know about Nicodemus is he was a religious leader. He would have been extremely educated. He was a religious authority in the community, okay? He had been entrusted with this, and this was his role in the community, to be a a religious authority, an expert on who God is and what God is about. It says he came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night, meaning that Nicodemus realized that already the religious structure and the religious authorities were feeling threatened by who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. And so he goes to Jesus at night in secret to begin to ask him questions and to learn more about who he is. He knows there is something to him. 
and he wants to know more about him. But he doesn't dare do it in, the, in, in broad daylight in the middle of everyone because Jesus is a threat to the religious authorities, okay? And he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and yet you do not understand these things. And so Jesus makes this statement to him. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, which would have been the singular obsession of a man like Nicodemus. Okay, to be a religious expert, to give your life to studying this and and to to being a guardian of God's kingdom. The idea that he was on the outside of God's kingdom. That was something that, that would have been even scandalous for him to think about and for Jesus to say to him. But he says, listen, Nicodemus, if you want to be in God's kingdom, then you have to be born again. What does that mean? How are you talking? Jesus says, listen, I'm not talking about in the physical thing. I'm talking about something spiritual. And he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born of water and of the spirit. You must be born of water and of the spirit. Water symbolizing baptism, which is this expression of, of a proclamation of faith, okay? And what happens in baptism when a person is standing there and they are taken under the water and they are brought back up, it is rich symbolism of what is happening in the soul of a person when they confess belief in Jesus Christ. And it is a burial to who we once were and we are now dead to the sin that we once lived in and we are raised back up. In resurrection, sharing the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. New life. And in the moment of baptism, as you come back up and you're just soaked and you're dripping with water, it's this imagery that you are washed clean, soaked, standing in a puddle of forgiveness and grace. That is what's happening in baptism. We believe strongly in baptism. Some of our favorite moments in the history of this church have been when we've gathered down on the bank of, of Morgan Creek and we go, you know, waist deep in the muddy water of Morgan Creek and, and we celebrate the baptism of our friends. If you want to be a part of that and if you want to express that, be sure you grab me or just email me. I would be glad to help talk you through that and we would love to celebrate that with you. So that's the first part, being born of water. The second part is being born of the spirit being born of the spirit and it's what is happening inside of us it is an inner transformation that takes place when we give our lives to jesus christ he gives his life to us when we give our lives to jesus christ he gives our lives to us and we are caught up in his eternal life 
and he begins to live his life through us. Our sins are forgiven. The old things are washed away and a brand new life begins to well up from the inside. We're not talking about cosmetic touch-ups here. We're talking about all-out renovation, restoration of who we were meant to be in Jesus Christ. That's what he's promising, and that's what he's talking about. And he goes on to this clutch verse here, verse 16, and he says to Nicodemus there, this famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life to share in the life of God himself. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Incredible. Nicodemus knew that God had chosen Abraham. Nicodemus knew that God had poured poured his favor out on Joseph. Nicodemus knew that God had picked Moses. Nicodemus knew that God had anointed David, had appointed priests, and had empowered prophets. But now, now Jesus is standing there and saying, and now God has, has blown it away because he has now sent his one and only son How much further could he possibly go? Sent his one and only son. For God so loved the world, he did the unthinkable. He gave himself away. What a powerful, powerful thing. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, a lot of people will hear this and they will hear people who who like to preach and proclaim the love of God. And they'll say, yeah, but you're forgetting about all the other parts, right? You're just trying to clean it up and make it nice. No, the love of God sums up all of the other parts. Absolutely. We were condemned. We were condemned. God is a just and righteous God. And there is punishment for sin. Sin has to be punished. But out of his love, God provided a rescue. And God took the punishment himself and lets us know just how deep his love for us is. Preaching about love is not a cop-out. Preaching about love is, is not weak. It speaks to the strength of who God is. That even though we were condemned, even though we were judged, he took the judgment himself so that we could be rescued that is beautiful and that speaks to the strength of who god is so this passage here john three sixteen, this verse that just seems really safe and sanitized and tamed right and it seems to us like this kind of play toy approved for children three and up right no it's not that at all it's not that at all this is a dangerous verse This is a dangerous verse. This is a verse that is plagued with mystery and danger and peril. But we have become immune to it. We've let ourselves grow immune to it. And we've we've sanitized it. We've made it safe. We've polished the sharp edges off of it so that it's something that we can handle. But this verse is actually a threat to us. This verse is a threat to us because it talks about how dangerous the idea of love 
is and exactly what love looks like. If we are going to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ, if we are going to reflect the Spirit through our lives, if we are going to be true children of the Father, then we will take on His characteristics, and that means that we will become people of reckless love, people who give themselves away to the furthest extent in the name of love. That is a dangerous idea. That is a dangerous idea. Remember, this this verse was not first mentioned like in, in a Sunday school room somewhere, right? This verse is a conspiracy that was first whispered in a secret meeting under the cover of darkness. This is a dangerous idea. And to bear the marks of Christ, to be made in his likeness, means that we are going to have to live in the same way with reckless love, with the kind of love that risks, with the kind of love that gives itself away. This is who our God is. His motive is love, for God so loved the world. His action is love that he gave his one and only son. And the end is love so that we might experience eternal life with him. This is who he is. It is at his very nature. Reckless love. We know, we've learned it through life, that love is, in fact, a risky thing, right? Remember your junior high crush? Yeah? Nobody? Yeah? All right, sweet. That person just popped in your head. You haven't thought about them in years. But your junior high crush, remember that person and how like you were just crazy about that person, but you did not dare let that word get out of your mouth, right? In fact, you probably didn't even speak to that person because you were so afraid of the possible rejection. You don't make your love known because it might be rejected, right? So you keep it safe and locked away and that way your love is protected. But as you grow up, you begin to realize, no, that's not the way love works. You've got to give this thing away. You've got to be bold. You've got to be courageous with it, right? And, and so, so finally, you get that courage and you speak it and you, and you give that love away. And then you discover that all of those fears you used to have, right, are well-founded. <laughs> and it's actually worse than you imagined. And your heart gets crushed, right? Right? Okay. That's okay. Only then are you really prepared to love. Because then you realize, man, love has this risk attached to it. If I let this go, I might get hurt. Who knows where this is going to lead, right? Who knows what might happen? And we learn this over life. And so we come to that point where all of our friends and our family and the people that we love most in the world are gathered in one room for one time only, and they're standing there as you make your vows to another person. And it's this beautiful moment and this this moment you will remember for the rest of your life. But in that moment, there is this reality that that person you are making your vow to has more power than any other person in this world to crush you. has more power than anybody else in this world to hurt you and to disappoint you. And there is danger and there is peril in that moment. But you know what? You do it. 
you take that risk because you know that love is worth it. That's what love is. It's a risk. We're hardwired to fear and we are built with this like instinct for self-preservation. But love is the antidote to that. Love comes along and pushes us through that instinct of fear and self-preservation and pushes us to the point of where we are willing to give ourselves away because love is risky and love is dangerous and love is courageous and love is reckless. And there's no more beautiful and compelling picture of that than this right here, the bread and the cup, the body and the blood poured out for us. This is what courage looks like. Love is rife with suffering and pain and danger and fulfillment. And it is worth the risk. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, okay, this guy preached another message about love. How often is he going to do this, right? Well, fair warning, like it's, it's on the sign out front, okay? You knew when you were coming in here, okay? But that's the thing. We've kind of backed ourselves into a corner with this name, right? It's kind of a funny name to, to give a church to call yourself Love Chapel Hill. And, and we've actually encountered some funny confusion based on our name. Some people have told us, yeah, when I first saw that sign, I thought it was a dating site, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, how did you find out we were a church, by the way? You went to the site. Got you. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then there are other people who, who, for some reason, just cut off the word hill in it, right? And they just refer to us as the love chapel, okay? <laughs> yes. Yeah. How's love chapel going? Well, this week we have 50% discount on the Elvis wedding package. Come <laughs> hang out with us, right? Okay. But one of my favorite uh, uh, variations of that is that some of you guys yourselves ha- have started calling us, instead of the full name of Love Chapel Hill, some of you guys have just started referring to the church simply as love, okay? Which is beautiful. I love that. It's, it's kind of scary because it's a lot to live up to, but it's beautiful. And so one day, actually the first day I ever met my friend David Kaler, we were standing in line in this restaurant, and there are people in line behind us and all around us. And David says to me, uh, so Matt, tell me about love. <laughs> I'm like, well, son, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> but it is kind of a funny name for a church, right? And yes, at times for some people it has caused confusion. But for us, it has been an anchor of clarity. Repeatedly We are drawn back to that. Like I said, we backed ourselves into a corner here, and it's exactly where we need to be. And we are reminded constantly that love has to be more than a name. It has to be your mission. It has to be who you are. It has to be what you do, and it has to be why you do it. This has to be who we are, because this is a mark of us Because it is a mark of our Father and we inherited it from Him. Love. Reckless love. We've said over and over here at this church that we believe that the most eloquent articulation of the gospel is a love that gives itself away. And we find that anchored right here 
in this passage. The basics. We are never beyond this basic. Father, thank you that you are love. And that you are not just some weak version of it, but you are strong love. That you do more than just try to give us kind of a warm hug. But you fought for our hearts and you fight still for our hearts. And you have won that fight. Shape us. Make us people of love. And help us to be the kind of people who are molded into your image and people who who begin to live like you live. People who give ourselves away because that's what love does. And there is no more clear, more beautiful picture of what the gospel is about. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.